All aboard! We're on the little train that goes from Jerusalem's Jaffa Gate and weaves through the sacred old city down to the Western Wall to pray. And we want to invite you to come along and support us financially so that the Jerusalem Channel can continue to move in the presence of God throughout this old city and throughout this nation. Thank you for supporting us, and we invite you to go to the donate page of our website, JerusalemChannel.tv. God bless you out of Zion. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. As part of the apostasy of the last days, many professing Christians are expressing doubts about the physical resurrection of Jesus. Yet the Apostle Paul taught that if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, our faith is meaningless. It's disappointing to me that many churchgoers don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, which is the very cornerstone of our faith. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 17, If Messiah has not been raised, your faith is futile. The good news is we have many faithful eyewitness accounts of the resurrection, and we're going to look at some of those testimonies to strengthen your faith, not only in the resurrection of Jesus, but it follows in our own resurrection someday. Hello, I'm Christine Darg, and I want in this program to strengthen your faith today in the resurrection of Jesus. Each week in the Apostles' Creed that's repeated in churches all over the world, we confess, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So let's be believing believers in these last days. Jesus himself affirmed in the fourth gospel, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The Bible describes a miraculous event in Jerusalem in which many faithful people who had died rose from their graves here and openly appeared to others after Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. This dramatic account of dead people appearing among the living thrills me every time I read it in Matthew chapter 27. Somebody needs to make a movie about it. Verse 52 describes a powerful earthquake that occurred after Jesus' death on the cross. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. And then verses 52 and 53 report that after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, many holy people climbed out of their graves and came back to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared, it says, to many. How dramatic was that? You see, it was a custom to venerate the graves of holy people, so how much more awesome was it to see these resurrected saints appearing to many and giving messages. 
The people of Jerusalem interpreted these appearances as miraculous signs, signs and testimonies that Jesus had indeed overcome death and made eternal life possible for everyone who places their trust in him. In fact, the Apostle Peter wrote about this phenomenon. Peter informed us in his first epistle that Jesus was busy during the time that his body lay dead in the grave. Peter wrote that Jesus preached to the Old Testament souls who were in prison in paradise and then took them out of their captivity to heaven. This the Apostles' Creed affirms in some versions that Jesus descended into hell and triumphed over Satan. This gospel event foreshadows the final resurrection of the dead at the end of the age. Then verse 54 of Matthew 27 goes on to record the reaction of the Roman soldiers who witnessed these miraculous events. When the centurion, it says, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Scholars differ as to the year that the resurrection took place. Some say the year 30 AD, others 33 AD, but one of the earliest accounts in the New Testament concerning these events was written only about 20 years later by the Apostle Paul, somewhere around the year 53 to 55. And Paul formulated one of the earliest creeds in the very important 15th chapter of his first epistle to the Corinthians. He wrote, For I delivered to you what I also received, that Messiah died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul said, number one, that Jesus died for our sins and was buried, and secondly, that he was raised to life on the third day and appeared to many persons. The Lord's burial is mentioned as proof that Jesus did indeed die for our sins. And the post-resurrection appearances are also proof of the resurrection. It's very important and interesting that in both parts of the simple creed, Paul carefully inserts the phrase, according to the scriptures. Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and raised according to these scriptures. And what are these scriptures in the Hebrew Bible? It's vital that we understand and know exactly what scriptures Paul was talking about. The people of his day would know because they were more biblically literate than many in the churches today. Messiah died according to the scriptures would be a reference to the suffering servant passage in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which is often called by theologians the fifth gospel, or in the case of it being in the Old Testament, it was, as it were, the first gospel. Jesus accepted this unique mission to be the suffering servant for us. He's given us his life and he continues to give it. Also, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and here is referenced the Lord's own sign of the prophet Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and nights, and just as he would be in the belly of the earth. Also referenced is Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2 
a very important prophecy which states, After two days he will revive us, on the third day he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. The third day is a Bible idiom for the day of the general resurrection at the end of the age. Jesus makes it possible for us to enter into the very life of God because he was the first to rise from the dead. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, this great resurrection chapter, Paul goes on to list the appearances, the post-resurrection appearances in order. He said that Jesus appeared to Cephas, and here Paul deferentially uses Cephas, the nickname that Jesus gave to Simon Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. The twelve was the name for Jesus's inner circle, although it was at that point eleven, the traitor Judas having hanged himself. Then Paul documents the Lord appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom he said were still alive at his writing, although some had already died. Then Paul said the Lord appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, Paul said, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For he said, I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I had persecuted the church of God. Paul felt he was untimely born because he was the only one on his list who had not known Jesus before the resurrection. And by the way, Paul's lists of those who saw the resurrected Lord only mentions the men because in those days, women weren't considered to be reliable witnesses. This fact gives even more credibility to the genuineness, I believe, of the gospel narratives because Mary Magdalene is given prominence in the resurrection narratives against the customs of the day about women. She was considered even among early church fathers as the apostle to the apostles, and she was given that title because Mary Magdalene encountered the Lord in the resurrection garden, and he had commanded her to give the good news of his resurrection to the brethren. It's fascinating that the Gospels aren't ashamed to record that the first in the chain of those who bore witness to the resurrection were in fact the women. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and other women received the news from the two angels at the empty tomb. And they faithfully bore the news to the eleven, and at first their witness was dismissed as utter nonsense. The faith of the women had to overcome the men's skepticism. However, Peter was stirred and he got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. We know that at some point that day, the Lord also appeared to Peter. And this is according to Luke uh, chapter 24 and verse 34. Because when the disciples who were on the road to Emmaus returned to Jerusalem with their report of having seen the risen Lord, the mood of the disciples in Jerusalem had radically changed. They said, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. 
The New Testament doesn't give us the details of the Lord's post-resurrection first appearance to Peter, but it was nevertheless extremely important because Peter became their spokesman. Now let's examine some of the other post-resurrection appearances from the official list of the Apostle Paul, as well as from the Gospels themselves, which include the female witnesses. Paul asserts that he is an apostle because he has seen the Lord. He is also an apostle because he didn't receive his ministry from men, but he was directly commissioned by the Lord himself. Of all those favored with a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, the Apostle Paul was perhaps the one most transformed by the phenomenon. St. Luke, the author of the book of Acts of the Apostles, gives us a detailed account three times of Paul's encounter with the risen Lord. And when speaking of it, Paul used one of my favorite words, revelation. He said the gospel came to him through a revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. Paul said, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. I like this word revelation because every Bible truth that you and I receive must ultimately come by revelation. Otherwise, we simply don't have the capacity to believe. We need a revelation not only for salvation, but also for healing and for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, for faith, and on and on. Paul lists himself last on his official list of those who were favored with a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. But what I want to emphasize about the appearance of the Lord to Paul is how real it was. It was such a real manifestation, and I cannot overemphasize this because Paul was totally shaken to the core. His life-changing encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road utterly and totally transformed him from darkness as a murderer and persecutor of the church to light, to becoming the faith's most famous preacher. Paul received what my friend Lance Lambert says, a blockbuster anointing. Jesus appeared to Paul in such blazing light, brighter than the noonday sun, that it threw him off of his horse and stopped him in his tracks. Paul was physically blinded by the experience and couldn't eat or drink for three days. When it happened, Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus replied in the Hebrew tongue, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Wow, what a revelation. Paul was persecuting the church, but Jesus said, Paul, you're persecuting me. Is it any wonder that Paul taught the doctrine that believers are the body of Messiah? Paul learned this doctrine by revelation from his very first encounter with the risen Lord. Well, the various characters and personalities in the post-resurrection narratives demonstrate the varying levels of faith of believers, not only at the time of Jesus' ministry, but I believe that they are an example of four types of personalities for all time. First of all, Mary Magdalene. She personifies the type of person who has a very close attachment to the Lord. We all know people like this. 
They may not be very well known. They may not have a big international ministry, but they are known in heaven. They are known by the Lord, and they know the Lord intimately. He is their world. He is their all in all. Mary came to the tomb early because it was yet dark, and she was devastated all over again when she saw that the tomb was empty. They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Theologians say that this typifies the type of love and devotion to the Lord personified in the book in the Old Testament called the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon in which the woman goes out before dawn to search for her beloved and she inquires in the streets for his whereabouts and she wants to take hold of him and bring him home. Now Mary is weeping at the entrance of the tomb because she is concerned about his body. She's consumed with only one thought. Where is her Lord? And when he appears to her, like others who've encountered the resurrected Lord, at first she doesn't recognize Jesus. And that tells us something about the mystery of a resurrected body. But when he calls her by name, she recognizes him and worships him, crying, Rabboni my Lord and Master. Theologians tell us that John, the beloved disciple, who, like Mary Magdalene, endured the awful spectacle of the crucifixion, he is the personification of the type of person who incarnates faith in its completeness. At first, the only clue of the resurrection that John sees is the empty tomb. Yet it's enough. He believes without even seeing the resurrected Jesus. The other disciples arrive at faith in the resurrection through their encounter, very real encounter with the risen Savior, filling them with joy and a new responsibility. And Jesus, the risen one, breathes on them the Holy Spirit, which is a picture of the Creator recreating us, causing us to be born again by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Thomas is a fourth type of person. He wasn't present with the other disciples the first time that the Lord appeared to them. And so he said that he wouldn't believe unless he saw the Lord and actually touched his wounds. And when Jesus appeared to him a week later, he gently rebuked Thomas by saying, Put your hand in my wounds and be not unbelieving. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. And Thomas represents the succeeding generations of believers who were called by the Lord to faith. We may not see him directly, but we have his word to believe. And Thomas also represents the Jewish nation who were not present in faith the first time the Lord appeared as a whole nation. But Israel will believe in the Lord upon his second appearance. There are many other post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, such as in John chapter 21, where he appears to the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Suddenly in the fishing boat, there's a miraculous catch. And this is how they know that the man on the shore is the Lord. And you can be sure that when miracles turn up in your life, the risen Lord is in the background somewhere. And it's good always to thank him and to recognize his hand and his presence. 
In this episode, the Lord cooks breakfast and he reestablishes communion again with his disciples. And he asks Peter three times if he truly loves him. And he gives Peter a commission, feed my lambs. In this post-resurrection appearance, the Lord and Peter also discuss the destiny of Peter and of the beloved disciple John. The Lord's words are never wasted or casual, but are deep and prophetic. When he speaks to us, he shows us things to come and prepares us for them in his love and mercy. And one of my favorite post-resurrection narratives is found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, where the Lord appeared to two despondent disciples who were walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. I've been on that road many times, and I've even encountered the Lord on that road that's why it's so very dear to me. Who were these two disciples? One is identified in the text as Cloephas. The other is nameless. Various traditions identify the second disciple, and I was fascinated to discover that some recently produced icons have suggested that the second disciple on the road to Emmaus was perhaps Mary, the wife of Cloephas. This clue is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 19 and verse 25, which mentions one of the Marys who stood near to the cross as being, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, another Mary, Mary, the wife of Clothus. So in this scenario on the Emmaus Road, could the disciple walking with Clothus be, in fact, his wife? Still, other theologians suggest, intriguingly, that Luke deliberately kept the second disciple anonymous because the Holy Spirit knew that nameless disciple could stand in for each one of us. I also like that thought because it's always a blessing to enter into the gospel accounts and to see ourselves not only at the foot of the cross, but also walking with the Lord on the Emmaus Road and hearing from him the greatest Bible study ever given. At first, the two disciples on the Emmaus Road didn't recognize the Lord, but as he walked with them and taught them, their hearts burned with revelation. They had been despondent, but Jesus exhorted them, saying, Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things before entering into his glory? And then beginning with the five books of Moses and all of the prophets, he explained the things about himself from the scriptures. What a Bible lesson. And Jesus also rebuked them. And it's a rebuke for all ages. He said, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared concerning the Messiah. Well, in each one of the post-resurrection encounters, Jesus took the initiative to reveal himself. Today, he will also take the initiative to call us and to send us on his missions and his errands. May we be faithful and answer the Lord's great commission to go into all of the world to preach the gospel while there's yet a little bit of time before he returns and the gospel age is complete. I find it so fascinating that the risen Lord is still taking the initiative to appear to many people in these last days. Muslims and Hindus are continually having dreams and 
visions of Jesus. And as I travel the nations, they often share these encounters with me. And Muslims here uh, in the Holy Land, the same. In fact, I've written a book called Miracles Among Muslims that documents encounters with the risen Lord. Through the spirit of revelation, these Muslims are always able to recognize Jesus in their dreams and visions, and their doubts are dissolved about him being Lord and not just a prophet. Yet, we don't need a vision of the resurrected Lord in order to believe. The Lord's encounter with Thomas proves that. But when Jesus comes to us, whether it's in a vision or more importantly, through this word of God, our response should always be one of faith and never of doubt. Jesus doesn't waste his visions or his words. When he comes to us, he has a mission in mind. He wants us to save souls, to pray for the sick, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to fight anti-Semitism, and just to be continually on his majesty's service in prayer and intercession as watchmen upon these walls. Many times he comes to us through a situation or need, but do we recognize him? While in this program about the witness of the resurrection, I would be remiss if I didn't invite you to receive the Lord according to the creed that the Apostle Paul gave us in that famous resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised again according to the scriptures. You see, Jesus is the free gift of God to all sinners, but this gift of the Savior must be received. I invite you to receive the Lord now into your heart if you haven't done it already. It's as easy as your ABCs to receive the Lord. A, admit to God that you are a sinner. All of us have sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God. B, believe that God sent his son, Jesus, to pay for your sin, a price that you cannot pay. Believe that Jesus died and rose again victorious, defeating death in the grave, and even now, he sits at God's right hand, making intercession for us. His blood covering will cleanse us before God. And the C of the ABCs of the gospel, call on Jesus' holy name and confess that he is Lord. Confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. And the Bible says, you shall be saved. Say with me now. God, I do believe in my heart that Messiah died for my sins and that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And if you pray with me, if you confess that with me, and if you have any other questions, you can contact me through the social media. I'd be so glad to hear from you or at our website, exploits.tv, which is open 24-7 with our nonstop videos and news analyses. So until next time, I want to say to you, the Lord has risen. I'm an evangelist of the empty tomb here in Jerusalem, and he has risen indeed, and he's coming again soon. Keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem and contending for the faith. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom.